going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. So you can either turn to it or go there on your phone or we'll have it on the screens as well. So I want to talk this morning about, about what the next uh, seven weeks are going to look like for believers all around the world. Uh, and it's um, just like your personal calendar, your family calendar uh, is divided up and you um, there's certain things, big weeks that you highlight, like a vacation or something like that, things you look forward to. Uh, there's things you may not look forward to, like jury duty or something like that. It makes it on your calendar. But our calendars are there to like help us mark significant things. And um, the church is has organized... Uh, the year around the same thing a long, 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 long time ago. Uh, church leaders got together and said, "Hey, we want to make sure we're we're spending the right parts of our year focused on on certain things that like you wouldn't want to go, you wouldn't want to be like in nine years of like, oh my goodness, we haven't talked about uh, the the return of Jesus at all in nine years. We should probably cover that, you know." So so they kind of took some of these bigger things to have us emphasize and put them into different seasons, and so. The season of Lent is exactly is exactly that. It is a it is a season of the calendar that uh, has some pretty interesting origins in in my opinion, which I'll talk about in just a second. But it's really it's a it's supposed to be it's designed to be a time of focus and of preparation and discipline and love and worship for us. Um, and in Luke nine, we have kind of the. It's a summary verse of like this is this is really what we're going for over the next stretch of time. Lent is most often associated, especially here in South Louisiana, with with giving something up for a stretch of time. And that's even what that's what Mardi Gras, what Fat Tuesday is about, is like, hey, let's let's really live it up because we're about to have to restrain ourselves for a, a period of time, you know. It's the it's the Sunday night before your Monday night diet starts, you know, like let's just eat something really good because we're about to not be able to do that, you know, and not saying that's a smart way to approach dieting. It's definitely not a smart way to approach humanity either, but yet it's where we are. And that's kind of the whole idea behind Mardi Gras is let's get it all out of our system because Lent is coming and it's, but Lent is really not about giving something up. It's not about that ritualistic kind of thing. It's about this. It's about what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Like that's the, that's what we're trying to do together. And so if we can take, uh, take any sort of anything about Lent and our understanding of that, that's, that it doesn't have to do with that. Let's put all that to the side. Let's just say, okay, God, what do you, what do you have for us? Um, if you look a few verses down in verse 51, there's another verse that says, uh, this says when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And there's a point in Jesus's life where he was like, okay, now my focus is going to be forward going to the crucifixion. And that's what happens is on Ash Wednesday, we set our faces forward to Easter weekend. And it's a, it's a journey. That's what Lent is. It's, it's, it's a pilgrimage over time from Ash Wednesday all the way until Easter weekend where we are giving ourselves to certain things. And 
Uh, we first see this, uh, if you're a history buff, and uh, it goes back to the year 325, the Council of Nicaea. It's the first place we see it formally like introduced. But it had been practiced a lot of, in a, a lot of places around like that part of the world uh, by Christians for a long time. And so this was, that's just the first time we see it kind of set into motion in an official way. And by the mid, middle of the 4th century, it's very much widely practiced. Um, and it really comes down to this. The, most, the three most holy days for us as Christians is you have Easter Sunday, you back up, you have Good Friday, and then you have Maundy Thursday those are, those are the three days. And so what was happening is Christians were saying, okay, those are pretty important days for us. Uh, we don't need to just stumble into them. We need to prepare ourselves. And so they began to have these, these stretches of time where they would say, hey, let's, let's begin to fast and to pray and to begin to prepare ourselves so that when, when those holy days arrive, we are, we are who we want to be. We are who we need to be. Um, and so at some point the number 40 started being used because we see all in the Bible, the number 40 uh, is always associated with those stretches of time of like testing. Um, I did a little research in case you're wondering if I prepare for these things. Um, the number 40 shows up 146 times in the Bible. I was really hoping it was like 40 times because that would be like, whoa, dude, the Bible's real. Um, 146 uh, does not mean the Bible is not real. Uh, but we see 40 show up. Like the flood was 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was up on the mountain fasting for 40 days when he got the Ten Commandments. Israel in the desert for 40 years. Moses sent the spies in the promised land. They were there for 40 days. Uh, Jonah gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. Uh, Elijah fasted 40 days uh, on Mount Horeb. This is interesting. I didn't know this one. Uh, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon all reigned for 40 years. That's pretty cool. Um, in the holy place of the temple, it was 40 cubits long, uh, whatever a cubit is. Um, some people think, there's no biblical basis for this, but I thought this was interesting. In church tradition, uh, 40 hours is the number of hours they believe that Jesus was dead. So between him saying, it is finished, and the resurrection, they, the, the tradition was that was a 40-hour span of time. It's pretty cool. Um, Jesus appeared for 40 days after his resurrection, between the resurrection and the ascension. It was a 40-day period of time. But really all this is starts off because Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the desert after his baptism and before his public ministry began. And so that that's really the model. Now, number 40 is significant uh, but it's really about, okay, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days before he began his ministry. We fast and pray for 40 days, uh, not counting Sundays, um, to prepare for uh, Resurrection Sunday. And the number 40 is always associated with a period of testing. And uh, my community group, we talked about this the other night a little bit. Like when, when we think of testing, we're very, you know, obviously very Western, very American that you think of testing as like, are you gonna are you gonna get this right or not? You know, uh, do you know the answer? And so, in in scripture, when we see like God, like it says that, that God tested Abraham, and there's a part of us because we've been so conditioned by school to think that that means that God's like, well, let's see if he gets this one right. You know, but that's not really biblical testing. Biblical testing is is about faith. And so, when God tests us, it's not about seeing if we're gonna pass or fail. It's about like, hey, um, let's, let's really test our trust. 
Like, do we trust him as much as we think we do? Is this an opportunity for our trust in him to strengthen? Um, so it isn't like this cruel, like, I'm going to mess with your life and see if you get it right kind of thing. It's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you through something difficult because, because I want you to trust me more. That's what we see in, in, in all of the situation of, of the forties. There's a, there's a testing in that, in that sense. And that's really what Lent is about. It's about, it's about us saying, I, I want to trust you through this fast. I want to trust you through this stretch of time to provide for me. I want to trust you to grow me and to change me. And so these different practices and disciplines that are a part of Lent, it's all about, it's about treasuring him. It's about trusting him. It's about, um, it's about us really like devoting ourselves to things. And it all comes back to that verse, verse 23. Look at it again, Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's that's what we're going for. And so with within that, there's a couple of things I think are very important. The first thing is in the in the verse, and we'll just Chris, let's just leave this verse up the whole time. Um, you look at the first part of that verse. Um, if anyone would come after me, that was a language that was really specific to that region and that part of time. Uh, that was the language used in terms of like following after a rabbi. And some of you heard me talk about this before, um, but uh, you, you'd have a rabbi and then you'd have these young boys. Uh, the girls were not eligible for this. It was like a different place, different time. But these boys would, would come through and they would study and they would learn all these, they would learn the scriptures and they would learn all these things from their dads and in uh, school and all this kind of stuff. And then after their bar mitzvah, you might not be, you're probably familiar with that because of, you know, movies, TV, or maybe you're Jewish, I don't know. Um, but after the bar mitzvah, they would, the goal was for them to then study underneath a rabbi. And so uh, they would look around at the different rabbis in their community or in their city or whatever, and they would set their sights on someone to say, I really like that rabbi. Like, I want to study under, under him. And maybe, maybe as you were coming along in school or in your professions and stuff like that, maybe there was like a mentor or a professor or someone in your field where you're like, I want to, I want to do this job exactly like that person does it. Same kind of thing. Um, so these young boys would, after their bar mitzvah, they would approach a rabbi and they would say, I want to, I want to follow you. I want to come after you. The same phrasing that Jesus uses here. And at that point, the rabbi would, um, sometimes he would say no right away. Sometimes he would say, all right, let's talk about it. And then the rabbi would be, would kind of interview and test the disciple. And then it was up to the rabbi to dis, to determine, does this kid have what it takes to be like me? And the rabbi would either say, yeah, come on and follow me, come after me. Or he would say no. And then if he said no, that boy would return home. And then that boy's future was, was in the family business somewhere. You know? And so here's Jesus saying, if anyone would, would want to come after me, here's, here's what it takes. And that's pretty significant in the sense that um, rabbi culture was, was not anyone who wants to follow me. It was you got to come ask me and then I get to determine if you're good enough. And most of the time, it was a rejection. And here's Jesus saying, hey, I think that all of you have what it takes to be like me. And he doesn't even just say, like, hey, if any of you men 
want to come after me? He says, anyone. So Jesus is, is known uh, for like the fact that he was like, come to me. Women, children, uh, men, doesn't really matter. If anyone wants to come after me, it's this open invitation. Here's, here's all you have to do. It's pretty significant. And when you think about the fact that if you know the story of him calling his disciples, he went to them. And what were they all doing? Family business work. They had all been rejected by rabbis. They had all been told they didn't have what it takes. And here this rabbi comes and finds them and says, come, come after me. Come follow me. I'll make you, you know, I'll, you, can, you can do this. It's, it's awesome. So first off, the call to discipleship, the openness of Lent, of what we're trying to do here is, it's this thing that Jesus says, I, like, because my spirit lives in all of you who are redeemed, you have what it takes to do this whole thing. Here's what you give yourself to. He says, you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Right? What, does that, what does that mean? Well, deny deny yourself, that's... Kind of self-explanatory, you know. It, but it isn't like sometimes I think we we kind of maybe overdo that where we we kind of take on these this kind of weird system of beliefs where we feel like we we can't ever be happy, we can't ever have anything that we like, or like God doesn't really care about your desires or your desires or what you want that that kind of thing. It's not like a, a it's it's not a self-deprecating kind of thing. It's not a, it's not wired up that way. See, we have this we're. We're born with this tendency to, toward pride to do what we want to do with no, no consultation of the Lord, no sort of heavenly wisdom, no sort of anything else. That there's this, like, why well, I, I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. And you can't really tell me I'm wrong. And the culture that we live in, it's like getting worse and worse and worse, you know. We're constantly being told, just, just like, whatever you want to do, no one can tell you otherwise, that kind of thing. And so one of the things that Jesus rescues us from, he comes to the earth, he comes to us as a rabbi and says, oh, you want to come after me, come on. Um, he says, but, but you have to learn how to say no to yourself, to that prideful part of you that's just looking, looking to exalt yourself, looking for uh, what makes you happy in the moment, even if it's temporary. Because the, what that tends to do, that tends to be where you kind of like, it becomes corrupted, so you end up, objectifying people, taking advantage of people, thinking of yourselves as greater than other people, finding a way to step over others to get what you want. It just, it, it just like spirals out of control. So, so a part of following after Jesus is, is us learning, learning how to say no, no to that prideful part of us by saying yes to him. It's something that we learn to do. We learn to deny ourselves. And so a part of Lent is this invitation into that practice of self-denial as a, as a way of like forming us and reforming us into who we, like who we know we want to be. Um, and God has used fasting as a part of that for a long, 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 long time, all the way to the early parts of the Bible. Like There's something about fasting. And when I say fasting, you probably think of food, and that's right, but fasting also has like a broad application. And so that's a part of what we think about with Lent. Of like, i got to give something up for Lent. Now, as a Baptist kid, I never understood my Catholic friends who had to give up stuff for Lent. That made no sense to me. But all I knew is like, I'd 
usually got to eat double brownies from people like at school because they're like, I can't have it. I had to give it up for Lynn. I'm like, sucker, I'm Baptist. Uh, I remember that. I didn't know what it meant, but it was, it was a good couple of weeks. Um, but it's not about giving something up. It's about fasting. Those are, those are different. Because when you fast, you, you remove something from your life and you replace it with something. Now, you can just fast. You can just give up something for seven weeks and it do nothing to form you into the image of God anymore accurately. Or we can, we can remove something and replace it. And so, so take food. Like that, that probably needs to be a part of every one of our disciplines over this stretch of Lent is that you are messing with your diet because you, uh, you want to anger your body. Like mess with your diet. And that... But that gets your attention, doesn't it? Especially as like uh, like like Americans, we we tend to like not really understand uh, discomfort very well. And so, if you have some sort of dietary fast where you are cutting something out of your diet, whether it's a meal or something specific, and your body begins to react to that, that is signaling something. And so, what are you supposed to do when those signals go off? Well, it's a replacement. And so one of the things that, w- that we have done in the last couple of years is w- if we've fasted on Wednesdays. It actually goes back to first century Rome. Christians fasted on Wednesdays and on Fridays. They didn't eat until the evening meal on those two days. And so what we've done is let's, let's fast lunch on Wednesday. But in, instead of just like, well, I'm just skipping lunch today. We're like, no, it's, I'm not going to eat. But during the time when I would normally eat, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to go outside in nature if the weather is nice and just enjoy like time with him. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to, I'm not going to just avoid something. I'm going to replace it with something. And through that denial of self, you're not only saying no to yourself, but you're also saying yes to him. And when that is a regular thing over seven weeks, when there's, think of it, if we have seven weeks of saying no to ourselves and yes, yes to him, like that is a, uh, everybody's good. Uh, that is a, like, that's a transformative thing. And I was curious about something because I've, over the last several years, you know, a lot of people in our church, there'll be some sort of dietary thing, but then there's like something else too that they will fast from. And like, Social media, cell phones, that's kind of like been entered into the mix. It used to, used to be like television and some of those kind of things. And now it's more, it's more of that. And, I, and the more I think about it and the more I, like, I was just doing some research on it too. Like, I think our new, this is our cultural addiction. Like I know we have drug addiction, we have alcohol addiction, we have a lot of kinds of things. But cell phone addiction? And so I found this, this, this one study that was done and. They surveyed 1,000 Americans uh, based on the demographics of the country. So different ages, different socioeconomic things, different ethnicities, all that kind of stuff. And they asked them just to submit the, you know how your phone, you know, your phone tracks everything? You know. <laughs> to send them the reports on all your data usage and like all that kind of stuff. To send it into this study. And so it wasn't even like an honesty thing. It was like a send us the numbers kind of deal. And then they had some supplemental questions. Here's a few of the things. I'm not going to do all of them, but 
on average, this was in 2021, these 1,000 people in America spent three hours and 19 minutes a day on their phone. That's 199 minutes. 36 of those minutes were spent on phone calls and text messages. That's 18%. So everything else was spent on social media and games on their their phones. 71% of the people said they checked their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up. And the average was 50 minutes on your phone before you go to sleep for this group. Um, Let's see. 70% 70% of them checked their phones within five minutes of a notification. Uh, 45% said their phone is their most valuable possession. Think about that for a second. Your most valuable possession phone. Um, 83% of them felt uneasy leaving their phone at home. 54% said they panic when their battery goes below 20%. said having another person use their phone causes them anxiety or stress. 41% said they'd rather give up intimacy with their spouse than their phone for a year. 46% said they admitted that they spend more time on their phone than they do with their significant other. And when you start to study the ties between social media immersion and the steady rise in anxiety, depression, mental health issues, there is a correlation that the science only proves more and more every single day. And so could it be, could it be that a part of our fast this year needs to be figuring out how is my relationship to this thing unhealthy? Because that's a part of it too, right? Like you don't, if you're going to fast something in terms of diet, you don't just think like, well, what could I live without? You know, it's like, I'm going to fast from, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat liver and onions for seven weeks. Okay, I ain't doing nothing. What do you have an unhealthy relationship to that you can fast from and say yes to Jesus in? But when it comes to this, what, in what ways is this like destroying you? In what ways are we passing this addiction onto our kids? How can we fast from this? in a way that leads to long-term change. Because that's a lot of times what happens is once Easter comes, we just go right back to doing that thing. And so in terms of self-denial, what we want to do is, is, is not only like make it through that time, fasting from something, replacing it with Christ, but we want to emerge on the other side more like Jesus than when we entered in. That's, that's the goal of the fast. Is I want to be changed, not I just want to follow the rules. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, come on, but you, you got to want to change. And this is one way that we're going to do it, by fasting and prayer. Next thing, look at that verse again. It says, deny himself. So then he says, take up his cross daily. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the, the taking up of the cross, uh, only guilty people carried crosses. Like, think about who he's talking to in this moment. 
He's talking to people who lived in a culture where when you committed a crime, you carried a cross through the town after they beat you half to death, and then they hung you on that cross until you suffocated and died. So they said, this is what happens to criminals in our town. So Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to come after me, and everyone's, oh, this is feeling good. I definitely want to come after this rabbi. That's amazing. I want to be just like him. He's like, you got to deny yourself. You're like, oh. And you got to take up your cross. What? Isn't that just for the guilty? Isn't that just for the criminals? Isn't that just for the people who have done something wrong? Yeah, it is. It is. A part of Lent it's 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 dark you know it's darker than advent it's darker than some of the other parts of the church calendar because it's a part of us owning up to our stuff and i feel like we as a church i feel like we are as as grace saturated as any church i've ever been around definitely in any church i've ever been a part of like we have committed to hang in there together be like we just have and we've gone through some weird difficult like just Stuff together. And if you're not a part of this church, I want I invite you to be a come, come along. You'll see. Like, well, we're we hang in there through some stuff because Jesus hangs in there with us. So why would we bail on each other? You know, that's a whole other sermon. But one thing that happens when we're when we're such grace, you know, junkies, is that sometimes we end up kind of maybe downplaying the impact of our sin on the world around us, on the people around us, and on ourselves, you know. And so grace is not meant to give us a pass on behavioral things or whatever. Grace is just understanding like, hey, we're all in process. We're all we're all in recovery. We're all working toward this like sobriety and the sense of our sin. But there are times when like we we're we're struggling. We were messing up. And so one of the things that happens in Lent is it's supposed to have us kind of looking in the mirror a little bit and Saying, I'm going to take up my cross, which in part it means I'm going to own what I've done. The other part of that, though, is I'm going to, it means I'm going to be obedient in doing with, with what I've done. Like I'm going to own it and I'm going to be responsible with it. And so Jesus, in carrying his cross through the town, he was like owning the sins of the world, owning your sin and my sin. But that was an act of obedience for him. And so two of the disciplines that come with this part of the verse in terms of Lent is it's, it's confession and it's repentance. It's both of them together. They're like two sides of the same coin. That during Lent we are confessional. We, we find ways to like review our days and our weeks and we're, we, we just have to be quicker to go to people and say, hey, I was wrong when I said this. I was wrong when I did this. It's about confession between husbands and wives, between parents to their children, children to their parents, children to one another, friends to one another. It's, it's about us, because we're fasting and because we're praying, we're just more aware, we're more sensitive. And it's about being quicker to say, I'm so sorry that I did that. I'm so sorry that I said that. But not in like a, let me confess my sins and get it off my chest kind of way and then go back to acting the same way. It's that I want to partner that with obedience. I want to repent of that. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to, 
I don't want to react that way anymore. I don't want to lie to you anymore. I don't want to talk down to you anymore. I don't, I don't want to deceive anyone anymore. I kind of want to, and so it's, it's partnering those things together. And sometimes it makes, it, it's super clear what that looks like. And other times it's like, I know how to confess, but I don't know how to repent. And that's why we do Lent with one another. We do them in our community groups. We do them as friends. We do, you do it as families. Like we work through that stuff together. And so as we're fasting and praying, we're just more dialed into the fact that, man, I, I keep bringing this to the table. That's what Ash Wednesday is about. That's what the ashes are for. It's, ashes represent death, and it's saying, like, I brought death to the world. That's why there are people in certain traditions that go early that morning to church and they put ashes on their forehead and they go throughout their whole day because it's parading us through the world saying, I brought death to the world. I'm the reason Jesus had to come and die. And thank God that he did. And so for all of us today, for those watching by live stream, like Jesus is inviting us to himself. And there's a lot of you in this room that have probably said yes to him, but I bet there are some who have not said yes to him or have been thinking about it or aren't even sure what that means. And we don't really do like a, an invitation time and all that kind of stuff here because really I, I always have felt this way and the leadership here has always felt this way. That that's, really, that's between you and the Lord. So we want you to, to interact with the Lord and then when we're done, we're available to talk about stuff and would welcome that. But this is what Jesus is saying. If anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to become like me, let me, let me tell you what kind of refinement has to happen. You, ha- you have to be willing to deny yourself and you have to be willing to take up your cross every single day. You have to be willing to be obedient no matter what it costs you today. And then the third thing he says is, and follow me. Now, if you were one of those rabbis, I'm about to land the plane here. Uh, if you were one of those rabbis and you had, you had your, like, these bar mitzvahed young boys start to follow after you, they literally do that. Like, they would be right behind you all day long, every single day. Uh, several years ago, I got to go to Israel, and you, to this day, you can see a rabbi walking around, and there's six or seven, like, teenagers behind them following them around. And most of the time, the rabbis, they're not like teaching them lessons and all that kind of stuff. The rabbi's just doing what he does. And those kids are watching him. And they're listening to everything that he says. And they are learning to imitate him. They're watching how he handles situations, how he handles uh, certain kinds of people and certain kinds of things. They're looking at his personal disciplines. They're, they're observing everything about him and they are beginning to imitate him and to act like him. Their goal is to speak like him and to think like him and to behave like him. And everything about him, that's who they are wanting to become. And at some point, they kind of graduate from the program, so to speak, and then they get to go become a rabbi. And they find their own disciples. And that's, that's what happens over there. And so what Jesus is saying, if you want to follow after me, that like if you want to come and be one of my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then you just, just follow me, which is code for saying, watch me, listen to me, observe everything that I do, learn from me, imitate me. Just do that over, 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 and over again. You know what happens? You're formed into these little Christs. 
That's what Christian means. That's where the nickname came from. Like, oh, a bunch of little Christs, here they come. Like, yeah, exactly. That's what we're trying to do. And what, why would we not want to do that? Like, so like, as, as we read through the gospel of uh, John together, like, that's part of what we're doing is we're reading every day and we're saying like, well, I can try to do that today. I can try to do that today. We're observing him through the scriptures and we're trying to figure out how to, how to act that out. But the, the whole point of it is transformation. This entire verse is all about transformation and Lent is designed to transform us. That where your heart and mind are right now today, if you leap forward in time to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, you should, you could be a different person by then. Like, not like unrecognizable to your family, different person. Like, your spiritual formation can be in like a hyperbaric chamber between now and then. You could come back and stand in this same room on Easter Sunday and say, I don't feel like the same person. He has morphed me. He has changed me. He has invited me to come after him. And through fasting and prayer, and through confession and repentance, and through imitation of him and all those kinds of things, he has worked all of that together to mold me and shape me. Men in this room, who would not want to stand here on the other side of that more like Jesus? Women in this room, who would not want to be here more like Jesus? Teenagers, elementary age kids, it doesn't matter. This is not an age-specific thing. This entire room could be more Christ-like. It's not even about that being like that date on the calendar being the end goal. It's about us entering into a process. Because this verse, like Lent has a start date and an end date. This verse does not. This is forming a lifestyle for us. And so Lent is like a, it's like a concentrated time where we do this together. But really, this should be all the time for the people of God. Sometimes we just need to jump start. And so that's what Lent offers us. For hundreds and hundreds of years, he's used this. And so I want to invite you to journey with us together. But with all of that in mind, if Lent for you is going to be just about giving something up, then I'm, one, I think you're missing out on a ton. But you're welcome to join us too. I think you might be persuaded the deeper we get into it. But I hope that you will participate. I hope that you'll come on Wednesday. I hope that you will begin to pray about what you need to fast from. I hope that you'll prepare yourself for confession and repentance to be practiced and to be talked about. And uh, all the Sundays of Lent, we're going to go. I'm going to teach through the the last the last seven things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. Um, and so every Sunday is going to have a heaviness to it. Um, and so like, get ready, get ready for that. Um, Lent is not fun, but you still love it. And I think anyone who's ever given themselves over to it will say the same thing. Um, it's just really, really powerful, but it really comes down to like, what do you want? What do you want to get out of it? What are you, who are you willing to become? So just know that Jesus is inviting you into this. He's inviting us all into it. 
And I hope that when Wednesday rolls around, we're ready to say yes to it. Um, and so uh, what we normally do here on here at Living Hope is uh, at this point, like I'll pray. And then we usually sing a little bit more on the back end because sometimes God's been stirring something and um, we pick songs that kind of line up with where we are. And But really, it's, it's a time for you. It's time for you to pray, a time for you to sing, a time for you to maybe listen to what's going on. Um, because rather than like, hey, let's dismiss and then we go, let's give a little bit of time uh, to kind of process it. So let me ask you to stand together. Our musicians will come back up. And uh, we're going to... We're going to sing together. Let me pray for us. God, what a um, what an incredible invitation you know that's held out to us like this offer to become like Jesus, you know, to follow after the most famous rabbi of all time. I'm so thankful that just like your initial disciples that you sought us as well. And that you believe that we can we can do these things. And so God, I start there just as I wrap things up and praying for anyone here who is doubting themselves and their own abilities to become more than they are right now. You wouldn't have thrown the net wide enough to catch all of us if you didn't truly believe that this is who we were made to be. And so I pray, God, that anyone who who um, is dismissive of this as a possibility for themselves, that they would be open to you um, weighing in on that. And God, I thank you that although it's difficult to deny ourselves and to take up our cross every day, that there's a beauty in following after you and watching that happen you know that in the follow you part we get to see how you denied yourself and how you took up your cross and how you you made it through all the things that we face in our lives and so I pray that we would not start with ourselves as the basis for how we're going to pursue Lent necessarily but that we start with you as the basis for that. That we would keep in mind that you show us what it looks like to deny yourself and to take up your cross. And that's what we would chase after. That we wouldn't even factor our own selves into it very much. It would just be about you and you alone. So as we sing and pray, just respond to whatever may be stirring within us. Um, May you have your way this morning.